Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 11, issue 522, and today we're going to talk about what remains of Edith Finch. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Leah Haydu. Hiya. And Tony Atkins. Hello. What remains of Edith Finch is a walking simulator to be... To be reductive about it, it's not a term I'm massively fond of, but I don't reject it either. But I think it's a term rather like phone that that we describe uh, those devices that we all now carry around with us and depend upon and do everything. Calling a game a, a walking simulator feels a bit uh, inadequate, yeah. shall we say. So what remains of Edith Finch is a collection of strange tales about a family in Washington state. As Edith, you'll explore the colossal Finch house, searching for stories as she explores her family history and tries to figure out why she's the last one in her family left alive. That's the Uh, official blurb. And I looked looked this up earlier just because I thought it was a curious fact that um, Leah and I are geographically closer to you two than we are to Washington State. No way. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's about as far away from... All from the way across. Us, while still being in the landlocked United States. Huh. Um, well, that's weird. Yeah, not that counting Alaska or Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> That's how big America is, right? Mm. It's wow. pretty big. Yeah. You know, Scotland's really quite far in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear things it's about, like... yeah, oh, I had to drive a whole hour, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're yeah. not that bad. It's like six <laughs> hours. <laughs> I will issue very much... Uh, advisory spoiler warning for this game because it's only two to three hours long as I say depending on kind of how long you spend doing each segment Um, but each segment is spoilable in itself and certainly the end is spoilable I will say no more on that until we get into the story I also want to issue a content warning trigger warning potentially as the game is really uh, a sort of exploration about death and what it means and how it relates to life and contains uh, several deaths including uh, infant death uh, and suicide so content warning for that so the game is five years old which is why we're covering it now but uh, brian did you play it when it first came out on i think it was ps4 and pc at first back in 2017 um, I did play it in 2017. I actually played it on Xbox One. Um, I checked oh, on that version. My, yes. I checked my achievement status uh, before the recording, and it says I unlocked the achievement for beating the game. It would have been on my uh, winter holiday. I think it was December 29th, 2017, so right at the end of the year. Um, I had kind of gone through a string of walking simulators. Um, I I played. I got to Gone Home pretty late. I... Um, I played Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, and then I played this one. I'm not sure what order I played them all in, but I kind of went through a string of them. And I wasn't sure how long the game was when I first sat down to play it, and I ended up finishing it in a sitting. And yeah. um, it was it affected me pretty uh, pretty greatly, as we'll talk about mm. in a little bit. Certain parts of it, should I say. Um, it does help that um, it, de- it was December of uh, 2017 where I played it, and my uh, son was born in June of 2017. So there's mm-hmm. one particular scene that was affected as I had a six-month-old at the time that I played it. Absolutely. Um, and then I, I hadn't touched it again until last night. I sat down and replayed it again. So I played it through completely twice. I'm missing one achievement. <laughs> I don't know why I care ah. about that, but I, they're all 100 points. I'm missing one achievement in the game for uh, 
or listening to all the narration, I must be missing something. But um, yeah, same one. I'm missing yeah. that one on the PS4 version. Yeah. So um, but yeah, I I played through it again last night um and uh, enjoyed my time with it. And so and here we are. Yeah. So f- pretty much five years apart in between my first and second playthroughs. Yeah. Yeah, when you said everybody's, I thought you were going to say everybody's golf, which kind of is also a walking simulator. <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, it's a it's a it's a good walk simulator spoiled, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> God, uh, Leah, how about you? What's your history with this one? So I uh, I was just frantically trying to get to my PlayStation profile because I meant to look and see when exactly it was that I played it the first time because I don't think it was right at launch. Um, what I think it was. Um, was what year did we do a show on Everybody's Gone to the Rapture? Because I'm pretty I sure I played that. it after that. Yeah. Um, pass. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, we did a show on Everybody's Gone to the 16? Rapture. No, that's wrong, because that's, that's the wrong way around. I don't know. I don't it, know. It, I, I'm pretty sure if the timeline's up that I did that, mm. uh, that I did that. I, I was just kind of on that kick and, and did that. Um. So, yeah, I played it. Uh, if, if it wasn't at launch, it was somewhere in that general in, in launch window, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. And I I don't have um, some of the connections maybe that other people do to certain bits of it. But I, I mean, there are still some things in there that can can really kind of affect you. You know, I Absolutely. I. I think and still um, human stories. And yeah, emotions. exactly. And, and, you know, it, it, I, I think that this is a, um, a, a story type that is well told in this medium. Um, it, it, I think it's well set up for that. Um, so I played through that, uh, and then I played through again, um, this past week, uh, I just sat down and did a, uh, playthrough, I, I guess maybe two hours ish or, or something along those lines. Um, and yeah, that's, I kind of, kind of a, um, a short history with it, but that's what I've got. Beautiful. Tony, how about yourself? Uh, mine's a bit shorter. I, my first time for it is this week. Um, and I played for it twice. And I'll get into reasons a bit later on why that was. Um, but that's not through a lack of knowledge of the game. Um, I've heard plenty of discourse around the game. Certainly at the time, it was it was quite a um, you know, a game circling the media rounds and the, the websites that I was visiting at the time. Um, and I think some of the reasons why I did avoid it at the time was because that discourse. I think it was a bit like I'd, I'd, I had, like everyone else, I think that seems like the walking simulator territory I think, was it dear esther was another one i think it was out at the same time there was yeah another one we've covered yeah and i yeah i, I think me and james on the show probably covered just about every single one of the walking simulators so um yeah I, I for some reason i i i was avoiding it and i and that sounds weird but i just like yeah I, I wasn't really in the headspace for that at that time um come along the show knew that it's a game that's been not only on my backlog actually sat there on my console in my must play tab list and yeah. always staring at me and it's one of those ones you know when you get around to doing it, it's like oh that was two hours i could have done that at literally any point yeah uh, i know what you mean why didn't and in fact it was on my tab list before it got put on cane and rinse and when i knew i was like okay, well i might as well wait until you know fresh memory for the show and i kind of wish now that I had actually just got to it a little while ago because I think maybe I needed that separation, a little bit of separation between the recording, the show, some mm. of my thoughts bedding in and sure. Um, and presenting them. But you know, there's, there's plenty there to be talked about. 
Absolutely. Hence, yeah. why, hence why the second it, replay through actually, because I think in the first playthrough there yeah. there is some ambiguity about you know what is going on, how these things elements come together, and like for, yeah, for, for the sure. first few. Oh, for the first few minutes, I'm still like, okay, it is games can be. Is this a haunted house scenario? Like, are we dealing oh, right. with something more here? <laughs> and then you quickly realise it's not. But I wanted to kind of like put the pieces of what yeah. I've learned back together. And actually, on the second playthrough, I, it was almost like a a whole new experience, kind of understanding mm. and looking at the characters from a you know a different angle. So I'm, I'm glad I had you know had the chance to go for it twice. I, I, if I may cut in very briefly, um, everybody's gone to the rapture was Kane and Rince number 251 in January, mm-hmm. 2017. And it was James, Sean, Tony, and Jay. Yeah. Good stuff. So yeah, it's around, around, around good game. when, <laughs> yeah. Very good game. around when it was coming about. Yeah. It's also an interesting one to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. My, my gap is also five years between first and second plays. I can't remember. I don't believe I bought this the minute it came out, but I can't exactly remember. I may have waited for the first digital sale or something. Heard a lot of good stuff about it and was curious, bought it on PS4 and played, played it through. I think again, in I'm pretty sure in one sitting uh, back then, and then replayed it for the show a few days ago on Xbox one, because why not? Uh, it's on game pass, I believe currently. Um, certainly it was in my library somehow and uh, here we are Giant Sparrow is the studio this was their second game after debuting in 2012 with the Unfinished Swan which is another one that actually could have made the list for this year Mm. it's a game we've never covered up to now but that's not to say that we won't in the future just because we've done this one first doesn't really mean anything Uh, it's a Santa Monica studio led by creative director Ian Dallas Mm. Annapurna Interactive is the label the always interesting Annapurna um, and yeah, uh, well, the composer also interested me, Jeff Russo, um, who has only done two games. One of them is what remains of Edith Finch. The other is the story mode music for Madden 2018. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Yeah. He wrote a really cheesy song for that that has lyrics. It's, oh, it's really? like, he's a long shot. It's a long <laughs> shot. That's so good. So good. That sounds like Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah, you should check so, it out. So, yeah, he used to be in a, well, I don't know if he still is, but um, one of the founding members of, of a band called Tonic, who who did a bunch of albums. But more recently, uh, he's best known for his musical work for TV, including such things as Star Trek, Picard, Star Trek, Discovery and Fargo, uh, for which he won an Emmy. So oh, cool. that that is uh, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. Don't know whether he's got any ambitions to come back to to games at all, but um, we'll talk about what we thought of the the musical cues as we go on. The game's uh, the game runs in Unreal Engine four. Um, game came out on PC and PS four in April two thousand seventeen. July Xbox One a couple of months later, and the Switch version arrived July twenty nineteen. Radical Dog from our forum says, I went in blind and was frankly disappointed by the Switch's performance at first, but with their no refunds policy, I persisted and got one of the most memorable two hours I've played. The fish factory scene is... It's a chef's kiss. The iOS version arrived in August 2021, so this may explain, I'm not sure why uh, there hasn't been a further game from Giant Sparrow, the studio, because it's been a long process to... Get the get Edith Finch out on on multiple platforms. I don't know. Um, normally, a, a studio will move on to something else major while they're doing ports, but I don't know how the big 
studio is, uh, how big the studio is. So um, I don't know if I don't I don't believe they've announced anything further. So here we are. The game reviewed very well, eighty eight percent on Open Critic, with ninety one percent of one hundred and sixteen critics recommending it. And the game also won some awards. The Game Awards, uh, Best Narrative, uh, Best Original Adventure at the National Academy of Video Game Trade Reviewers Awards, Best Indie Game in the Italian Video Game Awards, Game Developers Choice for Best Narrative as well, and the 2018 Games for Change Awards. It won the Best Gameplay, interestingly. Matt L. from our forum says, Walking Sims need two things to be successful, in my opinion. The first is it needs to prove why it should be a game, rather than a TV show, movie, or a novel, by actually making use of the medium of video gaming. The second is it needs to have a killer script and an excellent editor, such that the game does not overstay its welcome. I feel that Edith Finch meets both of these requirements. There are parts of this story that you couldn't experience if it was in any other medium, such as the swing scene or the bathtub scene, or at the very least you would experience these parts in a very different way. Further, the game's story is moving, heartbreaking and engaging without dragging or spending more time than necessary with each member of the Finch family. We experience their individual stories without filler and the game as a result feels like a well-paced TV miniseries. Generally, Folks like the game, the people who have played it, user reviews on Steam are overwhelmingly positive from 24,000 odd people who have registered a vote. On Metacritic, the PC version has an 8.4 and the PS4 version has an 8.3. The Xbox One and Switch versions have 7.9 and 7.8 respectively, which I think may be partially down to slightly inferior presentation and performance on a technical level. Rick Firestone from Patreon says, When I first started What Remains of Edith Finch, I was expecting a mystery story. But it isn't a mystery at all. It's a tragedy. It's a meditation on the weight of the past and of the unknown. And much like the endings to Disco Elysium or The Sopranos, it chooses to leave ends loose in a way that is true to life. A mystery gives us closure, but true realistic tragedy is indifferent and never wraps up tidily and often leaves us with more questions than answers. Also, no words for how impactful the cannery scene is. I absolutely love this game and can't wait to hear you all talk about it. Let's uh, let's roll back a bit before we get into the, the the individual stories. I just want to talk about the kind of you know the look of the game and the technical side. Uh, it's uh, it's a game now that unless you're running it on a PC, where obviously you can boost the frame rate and the and the resolution. The console versions are looking their age a bit, I would say. Mm, yeah. uh, they don't perform that well. Even weirdly, even running the Xbox One version on the Xbox Series X doesn't smooth out the frame rate. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't even appear to hit the kind of the 30 target. To be honest, this stuff sounds, you know, it sounds almost pernickety and, and kind of mean spirited. But um, but I was actually thinking because this game has, I think, ended up, I think it was a an Epic Games store freebie as well and i was kind of thinking i'd be sort of interested to play this running at a 60 fps just to see if it made any difference but actually i like the game regardless. no but I, I i think it's a valid criticism because i played on the on the series x whatever but it would have been the xbox one version and like you yes, say no enhancements it, it chugs like there's some areas yeah that you're like, wow like, which is just weird right yeah, because it, normally the xbox series x just 
brute forces its way to the frame rate cap of of any old. But I mean, game. I, it, I think the resolution is still set at whatever the resolution is, and that is not very high. So no, nine hundred p. I would but say why, on, on the Xbox. Why I think that's important is that I've watched um, a couple of videos from people playing on the on the PC version, and it looks yeah. crisp and beautiful. And yeah, I think that's because it does the actual art design a disservice yeah. because it yes the house is fascinating and interesting yeah. and lived in and the fact that it was just almost abandoned for the seven years it feels like a family that has you know could turn up or lives there at the moment could turn up at any point and just you know crack open a pizza and sit down around the kitchen table and you know be be within their company it and it does a really that's why i bring up gone home because it reminded me of you know, yeah. the exploring an environment and taking clues from the environment but the difference here is this is a story that ultimately is being told to you and you aren't the person that's searching for clues to get the narrative. But what I found myself doing, because the, I found myself engaged in the story and the world being told to me, that I actually was interested in looking at photos on the side and looking at documentations yeah. and newspapers to to, to you know bring up dates of when these events may or may or not happened or family photos to link and tie stuff together. And I actually found it, interestingly more engaging than something like gone home because i felt i'd seen these characters play out in front of me so i almost had like a, a feeling of who yeah. these people were rather than just yes. taking them from images and text of the wall like i say you can't always compare games to games but it was an, i found as a walking simulator type game went i found this in that that whole house in really engaging to actually tell the story because you see the story play out of who they are but actually, you take a step back and go, oh, let these, you can see the world they inhabit in, in their individual rooms, their spaces that are allowed. Because I, I know that for my, my children, you know, their rooms are so different from what my rooms were as a kid or from what each other's rooms are. And they reflect their Absolutely. interests and personalities. Yep. And, like yeah. one, one's got teddy bears everywhere and still wants to live in that kind of kidhood world. And the other one's like got football posters and stuff up and she wants to live mm. in a, her little kind of like, you know, different world. And it's, yeah, so that stuff I found you know engaging so the fact that the performance on the on the xbox one version was a bit lackluster i think did hamper it a bit but you get over it as all these things yeah the, yeah it's the cool. same on the series x i thought it was going to play a little better the second time around and yeah. it really didn't uh, i don't nah. think that it had any major uh updates or patches um but it's nah. interesting i i really noticed <laughs> it on the first approach to the house mm. um yeah like it it was really like jittery and stuttery yeah it gets better once once you're inside when it's not trying to draw distance and i was thinking to myself like man i really don't remember this from my first playthrough (laughs) at all and then yeah what i realized is that well it probably existed in my first playthrough it's just i just don't remember those parts as vividly as i do because the in general the performance during kind of the i don't want to say important but the the more story heavy or the more um uh, kind of affecting scenes of the game was pretty good. Like there's yeah, like yeah. The, a couple of our correspondents have already mentioned the cannery scene and, and that, that didn't stutter for me at all. Um, the swing mm. set scene, the, um, the, the comic book uh, scene, like, no, like it, it all seemed to run pretty well in there. And then by the time I was done with it last night, like I completely forgot that, Oh, on the walk to the house, it was a little framey. You know what I mean? Like, like that, that kind of whole part of it just kind of was out of my head. Cause that, it didn't necessarily uh, mar the experience yeah. at all in any significant way. It's quite apparent from the way things are laid out that fairly early on, we, we learn as we play through the scenarios that perhaps this isn't what an inverted comma you'd call a 
uh, a normal family or a regular family in that there's a lot of people with a lot of um i don't know it's like it's the way that the the rooms have been sealed off with wax and things like this and the the fact they've labeled all the doors um the, i i suppose that yeah the idea isn't that the game is a is necessarily a kind of documentary in the same way as as the the kind of the fantasy elements come into the individual stories i think that even the house the build of the house itself is more like something out of a posh, posh. storybook yeah. it's not it's not like it's not it's not something that would realistically actually exist although having said that there are some pretty crazy houses out there so i guess i don't know maybe an eccentric or a um non-conventional family you would say well they talk about um more kind of towards the end um or i guess towards the middle middle two in the <laughs> end that um hmm. that when um edith and her uh and her mother and her siblings when they move back in um the grand edie the grandmother hmm. um basically just builds more onto the house when, when they need more room and yeah. you know you could just say well they've already got room it's just that they're not using any of it because they have literally walled off these <laughs> yeah. these bedrooms as shrines um, yeah. yeah exactly so i i mean they it, it's they're almost living on kind of the the i don't want to say the the corpses of of their old hmm. lives but almost like it's the it, ghosts, they're almost like the tombs you know it's yeah, it's there, and they have a cemetery, a mausoleum out yeah. the back as I well. I mean, the, the the bodies are not literally there, but the the mm. they have preserved each of these people's spaces yeah. just as they were, which you find out when you start going back into. Yeah, I mean, uh, in real life, when people do that, it's creepy, but in this game, it's quite but endearing. The, I mean, the interest once again, that's another story, you know, beat that's in there. That you know, Edie has her way of you know preserving the family that she has around her, and be it these rooms, mm. and then you know through the events that happen considerably um over the the course of the the game dawn's the one that essentially then seals up all the rooms because she can't deal with that's the loss of these people and they can't deal with the the shrining of these people and feel like it's actually you know harming her her own children and wants to seal them up like so when you look at the these things like there's that's why i said earlier that like there's multiple layers of how this house presents itself you have the initial kind of feelings of edie then you have you know, the people who live there and then Dawn's feeling about the curse on the house and, and what, you know, whether it's true or not. And then, you know, Edith essentially breaking away from that as well and coming back and, and kind of re-exploring those from a different angle. And yeah, those rooms aren't just one singular, like, well, just move, just clear out that mm. stuff. I think the important thing there is, yes, like other people would have just cleared out those rooms because either the memory would have been too much or it would have just felt like the right thing to do to move on. But I mean, ultimately, Edie decides that she wants to make him a shrine. And then that really affects her own daughter's relationship with death. Well, once again, we'll get into all this. Um, so, yeah, before we do dive fully into the the family and the stories and, and our experiences with that. Um, yeah, just if, if anyone has anything they want to say about the audio, the design or the or the, the score. I have one thing, is- and it's that I'm impressed that they got the actual Halloween score. Um, Aha. I don't know how hard that is to do these days. but <laughs> yeah. um, I believe they... I believe they asked John Carpenter, who is a gamer, and he said yes. I, I think mean, that, that's that the story. would that would track from what I know about yeah. about him and his uh, his kind of attachment and relationship with uh, gaming. Yeah, yeah, and it 
because he composed it himself, yeah. he can just say, yeah, that's, <laughs> you go for it. Right. Yeah. That interview that um, you share that it was done with Eurogamer, um, the creative director of the game said that oh, they, yeah. they just asked John Carpenter and he's like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> like it was kind of yeah. like, whoa, that's, that's interesting. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I think during any of the scenes where you break away and kind of either flashbacks or go into another character's imagination or a real world event is, is done pretty well. And, and it's varied enough to, to make it feel real for whatever um, whatever scenario you're going through. I mean, we already mentioned Gregory and and um, and uh, the Halloween music for Barbara, but um, also the the cannery with Lewis as as his kind of fantasy world starts oh, to yeah, take over more. Right. That kind of has this um, <clears throat> this processional bombastic piece as he's marching through, and this, these mm. these these band members kind of join in with the march. Like he literally mm. walks along and they join the parade and that's you actually all choose the instruments yeah. that embellish the tune yeah. as well as you, as you're uh, going along this, uh, in this boat. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. I thought that was really effective, really mm. neat. Um, um, I think anybody who's ever worked a job that has a level of mundanity, a mundane, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, uh, that, a mundane job, let's just say it that way, um, <laughs> it, uh, has has done that exact thing where you're just kind of visualizing the thing you'd rather mm. be doing or visualizing the thing um, to, just to kind of get you through that that routine. Yeah. And um, and obviously for, for Lewis, it went to the to, to the extreme. But um, yeah, I thought that was incredibly effective. So um, but as far as just the atmospheric stuff of walking through the house and and back and forth it was it was it was pleasant enough but pleasant enough to not get in the way of absorbing all the story and i really don't think there is much to say about the gameplay in traditional terms because it is controlled like any other first person game i'm sure every one of our listeners is uh, is aware of how that works on a modern three you know controller with twin analog sticks or a mouse and keyboard you have one interact button for the entire game which is uh, by default a right trigger and other than that, you have a button to go into an uh, into your book, and that that is it. I think. I think. That's uh, yeah, the you entire... like can, when you hold the button, you can turn obviously for opening keys or oh, that's pulling true. the book a apart. Of, I suppose so. A bit of spinning and pulling. There's more right, than quite yes. one button press, but I I think its simplicity is its magic, I mean, and that's an easy thing to say. But ultimately, you know, having got to the end of this, you know, there's been games I've always thought about suggesting to people that don't play games essentially. Mm. And, you know, you think about one of the brothers came up earlier as an example, and there'll be a number like, well, that's that puzzle they just wouldn't get through. As easy as it is to me, that's the puzzle. Twin stick controls. But, uh, yeah, but, I would say that would still apply here because normally if you give a controller to in a first-person game to somebody who doesn't play games much, they do the thing where they run into the corner and look at the <laughs> ceiling and that's it. <laughs> well, once once you got over that, yeah, I mean, that's very hard to do any other way because then that's ultimately there'd be one stick just pushing forward and let the camera do the work and you would lose all interactivity, I guess, at that point. But yeah, no, but yeah. I, I do think um, the simplicity of it helps. And because the game is set up, as I say, as a, a narrative that ultimately you engage with and is told to you, but you and then you have the time down to engage with more of the the world as you so wish to me that works well from a gameplay point of view than you know say a, a big area i think it's something like dearest where it's like these big areas where head over there there might be something over there to explore um i think yeah. it being a bit more kind of like okay this makes sense from going here a to b to c i get the idea of what's what's mm. it not that every game has to be for everybody but i think you know if if the aim for this game was to kind of transcend that story driven nature that many people could interact with as a you know as wide a net as possible they did a really good job it is very guided mm. um it's you 
you could potentially, I guess, get stuck or get lost, but it, I, it does a pretty good job of kind of nudging oh, you in the direction. Yeah, breadcrumb trail without the breadcrumb. Yeah. That's exactly what I wanted to compliment mm -hmm. the guiding of the player with the invisible hand in this game. I think I found it exemplary, mm -hmm. even to the point that because uh, it, essentially it gives you a little interact with Mark on things when you can, uh, when you can, and it doesn't put those in place until such time as you can interact with them. But the amount of times I kind of went into a room thinking, well, now I'm here, where the hell do I go next? And then you turn around and suddenly there's a door that you didn't even notice <laughs> and it's obvious that you need to go there next. Or the placement of the text really is the other thing that I think really helps with that. Um, yeah. Because I, yeah. I, as you go through the story, you are seeing what I, what I guess it would be that Edith is writing in her journal That's it. Uh, yeah. as she's going along and it appears in kind of in the sky or in um or like on the walls or Books. just in yeah. spots where you should be paying attention or where you should be moving to um and and the camera will kind of pull you not like whip you around but the camera will kind of pull you a little bit in that direction mm. um so it yeah it um I, I think that could could feel overbearing if it wasn't done correctly yeah. but in this in this case i think it is, I mean, is done yep. quite a gentle well. guiding hand Mark Hoogaboom from our Patreon says, Whereas many games use death as proof of failure, you died. Edith Finch makes it the central theme of its narrative. This short game is like a three-dimensional advent calendar of loss, with surprises behind each of the little doors. The tone of each death vignette varies from the tragically sad to the darkly comedic, in the same way the random deaths in the opening segments of the TV show Six Feet Under would. And while the game didn't really move me as much as I'd hoped or expected, the moral of the story did strike a chord with me. Yes, you can be sad when a person that you hold dear passes, but you should also be thankful to have known them at all. Mm. This is a contemporary zeitgeisty reference based on the time of recording, which is uh, June 2022, but I've recently seen everything ever, all, everywhere all at once. And, um, and thematically, that kind of ties in a bit for me. Um, I guess it's just fresh in my mind, but the idea of kind of... Uh, appreciating what you have um and you're sad about things that you lost because they were worth having in the first place mm -hmm. so let's try to uh, retread through the the steps of the story i suppose to an extent now uh, we we used to do this quite a lot in in Kane and Rinch shows but for bigger games it would end up being <laughs> too much but I feel like with a, with a game of this this size and the vignettes being as they are, we can we can do it. Um, so you start out as uh, do, you, do you actually do you know that it's Edith on the boat or do you just work it out quickly? Um, I can't actually remember. But you you look down quite early in you have to look down. It's the first interaction at the diary, uh, which is of course not so filled in at this point. And you see that you're playing a feminine character with uh darker skin and do you can you tell at this point that she's pregnant i don't think no. so because i remember the first the first part that i figured it out it's before she specifically says it but she she makes some kind of reference to like i'm writing this for you or i'm writing That's this it. yeah it, it's just some kind of you know line that is referring to another person and i'm like oh right okay <laughs> you look down she has a baby bump right 
Yeah, she does. Yeah, I, which I didn't notice the first time yeah. around. And then I think it was I was climbing one of the ladders or doing something, and I I ended up just looking down at the floor because I thought I might have missed something. And then yeah. like, oh, look at that! Like a lot of times you get used to in in first of person course. games where you look down, there's just no but nothing. I, there. I just you know, realized no the reason you don't see yeah. it the first time you look down is because it's not her, is it? It's it. This is a bit of a. It throws you a bit of a loop. It's it's, Chris. it's, oh, yeah, it's her son. Yeah. It's Chris, the boy, uh, the son of Edith. Um. So yeah, the we we haven't really sort of explained, but effectively <laughs> this this family seems to, or it feels, or members of the family feels that the family is cursed because there's a lot of premature death, very little death of old age, a lot of death by misadventure, a lot of um, unexpected death, some illness, some tragedy, but a lot. But I think the average age somebody worked out of the the Finch family is uh, twenty when they die, just around wow. late nineteen. <laughs> So that is that is very young. Obviously, that is brought down by infant death, um, and uh, and raised again by Edie, who lives from nineteen seventeen to two thousand and ten. Um, and yes, we we join. Uh, well, we think we join, but actually, we're reading from the book of Edith, who uh, who at the time of her writing the book was the last remaining Finch. Yes, yeah. according uh, to her. Uh, I according mean, I guess, to her. Uh, yes. And, and, but know. she knows there's another one on the way. Yes. So she wants right. to sort of say, this is our family history. This is probably what's going to happen to me. And it's up to you to work out what you think. Well, ultimately, of. she's the, the one member of the family through all the tragic and everything that's happened. The one member of the family that's actually, I guess, got her head around what it is to be you know, what is life and death and how to deal with it. And I think, you know, you could do read through that through, you know, some of her, Dawn, her mum, clearly, you know, giving her some signals and counselling and some, you know, there's more stuff in there. You can see that, you know, she's actually brought her daughter up to understand what's happened to her family. And by writing this book, this is her way of actually explaining it to her, you know, her, I guess she may or may not know it's her son, but her, her impending child that, this is what her family history was and not to necessarily believe in the rumor and speculation that has surrounded her family for many years. But the story that you embark on is her going back to the house to explore this house and this book being written essentially, but you don't know that at the very start. So yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. You are. You're our Edith, aren't you? Um, Mm-hmm. at the start of this game but yeah you are chris her son and like he's going to her grave you find out you're yeah you're chris in the framing yeah. segments but you are retracing edith's steps yeah. uh, ultimately you are returning to the house and the grave where your yeah. mum sadly is also buried which is a massive spoiler but you know we all this game is we're already well beyond, beyond that, that so <laughs> yeah what i've what i've got to aid us here is simply a list of of the members of the family going back in in time and uh we can trace through and then just jump in if there's things you want to say some of the not everyone in the family has an interactive playable segment and some of them right? are quite short like some of them are more of yeah. like just a, a short story or even like a poem That's it. uh yeah. and then some of them yeah. are a little bit more uh in depth so we start with uh ingeborg and johan uh, Ingeborg was the uh, was the grand matriarch, I suppose, of the family. Um, they would have, uh, I think they came now. I've actually forgotten which Scandinavian country it is. Are they Norwegian? I think they're Norwegian. Um, I'm sure there's a Norwegian flag in the in the house somewhere. Um, they would have been the Finkers at this point, although the game doesn't specifically state that. But 
They, when they anglicised or Americanized their name on arrival in Washington, they would have become the Finches. That makes sense. I believe Ingeborg is meant to have passed in childbirth, giving birth to Odin. I believe so. Yeah, and then um, it kind of yeah, it, it 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 is it alludes to it, but again, that doesn't really yeah spell it out. No, no, not all of them are completely spelled out. Uh, so uh, but gave birth to Odin, whose story is comes over on the come brings the house over on the boat. Yes. Yeah, so that I found I found that interesting too because they're bringing the house over on the boat from Norway, but they're going to the west coast of the United States. So <laughs> it's a heck of a journey by yeah. boat. Um, I mean, I guess they could go through the Panama Canal, go around that way. But anyway, that's it, it was that's a that's a just. An odd I wonder thing why it was set in Washington it. in that respect. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's he is he essentially goes. Uh, he goes down with the ship, but yeah. instead of the ship, it's the house. <laughs> yes. So his house, he's bringing over. Um, the this big storm capsizes the house, and he just kind of goes down with it's it. It's right off the coast, though. Yeah, you can see yeah. it from from the Finch's. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. That's a long journey just to lose it on the shoreline. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, seriously. Within sight. <laughs> yeah. And once, yeah. but once again, it's it's deemed as one of you know they they show the kind of images, and it's deemed as this massive, great big house on the side of a uh, on top of a barge being driven across you know, the sea. And you do wonder whether how much of a fantasy tale that is, whether it's more just a yeah. a kind of, mm. oh, what's the word, um, symbolism of you know moving from a place to a place. Like, yes, there was plenty mm. of a... Yeah, literally yeah, moving house. Yeah. Although yeah. they do reference it and you can see up the scene and there is actually a scene of them going to the house, but then that's really ambiguous about whether that is true or not. So... Um, yeah. But ultimately, yes, they up crops and move to America to live in a house. Odin, yeah, doesn't make it quite to no. shore, age 57, leaving the survivors who are E.D. Mm-hmm. And her husband, Sven. And Sven. I'm trying to piece this back together, but you, you definitely need to dive I in pull- and help. I believe at the time, I'm not sure if they had had Molly and Barbara Molly yet. Um, so um, Molly might have been the baby they were coming with, and then I believe Barbara um, came shortly after okay. that. Um, but they, I believe, they build a house on the site, don't they? They, they, the house is doomed. They build a new house, and the family yes. starts. Sven starts building yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of brings us to Molly, which is the first segment that you play. Uh, so yeah, we've we've already touched on it, but essentially she wakes up hungry in the night, and because she's eats... been sent to bed without her supper. That's right. Mm-hmm. Don't starve yeah. the kids, maybe. Yeah, that's not a curse. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's child that's abuse. That's just parenting. Yeah, yeah. She is literally yeah. locked in her room. Um, she does call out, doesn't she? She say she she does. Or if if you choose to, I think maybe maybe it's for mandatory interaction. But she does actually say, "Mom, I'm hungry." And they say, go back to bed. So she eats gerbil food and Christmas berries and toothpaste. And she starts to the, well, the idea is, so she's, she's a kid. She's already obsessed with animal life, right? She's, that's her fascination. Um, There's animals all over her room. Uh, And then there's a, a bird lands on her window ledge and she hops out, but she kind of starts imagining or hallucinating that she's a cat um, whether she actually goes out onto the ledge and does this whole sequence, I guess we don't really know. 
Yeah, I think that like uh, I this is just me obviously editorializing. I like Holly Berry's uh have been known to cause mm. hallucinations and 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 the like. Um so I'm not sure if it's, mm. you know, she kind of poisons herself and ends up in a fever dream yeah. or um so that's that's the way I interpret it as that, that like yeah. she kind of poisoned herself into this into this hallucination and then yeah. because she was sick and obviously wasn't feeling well. Yeah. You know, it just this was kind of her escape. That's my thought. I, I agree with that. That that's how I took it too. Because I mean, after the whole cycle, you know, she's a a cat that then turns into um, what did she turn into after that an owl, an eagle, yeah. right, or an, an owl, owl, or, yeah. eagle an owl. or something yeah. like that, and then a shark Chomps up some rabbits and yep. uh, and the, eats uh, a seal, a, a seal, yeah, eats a, well, she eats the seal, yeah, and and yeah. the the kind of. Lovecraftian monster thing monster, that, uh, yeah. that that I was talking about before, but after that whole cycle, she ends up back in her bed. So I yes. I took it yeah. the same way, yeah. yeah. That she she never actually she left lies the room. In her bed, yeah. She was just she kind of kills herself in the end. Yeah, ironically, or the she, uh, the yeah. tentacle. It's almost suggested that she even writes in the journal, knowing that she's not in a good way, and like is actually yeah. writing down that this will probably be my last words. Essentially, I I find this very very interesting way to start because. It sets the tone early because this is the first kind of flashback scene that you play through that you're going to see all these characters die. You kind of get that feeling, but you're also not going to necessarily be sure of how yeah. like there, there there's going to be some uncertainty yes. there and it just kind of leaves you hanging. And I'm glad it did that right off the bat because if it started out with a with a couple that were like very clear, this is what happened. Mm. And then all of a sudden later on, it was leaving bits and pieces out. I, w- I would feel like disappointed. Like, mm. no, I wanted to know exactly how that happened. But this right off the bat tells me like, okay, is this fantasy? Is this reality? I'm not quite sure. It's obviously a mixture of both. And it kind of allowed me to fill the gaps in my mind. And setting that tone early, I think makes some of the later scenarios, like particularly Barbara, Barbara and a couple other ones um, that where you are, you are left to kind of left guessing it it doesn't feel cheap or um or unfair to the player. It more feels like this is just kind of the expectation I have now. Uh, Sludge Wizard from the forum says, after powering through Firewatch and finding it boring, I'm more or less wrote off walking simulators as a genre. They look pretty, people enjoy them, but I figured if I didn't like Firewatch, the one everybody and their mother loves, then the genre just wasn't my thing. Then Edith Finch was released as a PlayStation Plus game, so I figured why not? It's free. Let's throw it on and have a beer. <laughs> Hard cut to me, a few hours later, emotionally drained on the couch with my room temperature drink completely untouched beside me. It sucked me in almost immediately, and I played it through in its entirety without a break. The next day I did it again to pick any trophies I'd missed the first time around. While I still haven't found a walking simulator that I like nearly as much, Edith Finch opened up an entire genre to me. I've never had a gaming moment hit me as hard as being on that swing the fish chopping sequence is just beautiful, and it's great that John Carpenter gave the go-ahead to use the Halloween theme. Barbara is uh, is the other daughter, so she was a former, uh, briefly a child movie star, um, and this was this is actually on Halloween and her sixteenth birthday, which are on the same day. I think mm-hmm. born on October thirty first. Uh, I think there's 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 some observation about uh, their dates falling at kind of apposite times. Um, I was never really what does happen. What's what's that? So you play through this in a comic book style. It's being narrated by a kind of a kind of comic creepy character from I think 
clearly a crypt keeper yeah, analog. Like t- yeah. Crypt yeah, keeper tales type from thing. the crypt yeah, yeah. Uh, allegory. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, alike definitely. So what what how does this play out and what happens? Who wants to? So I think explain? it's it's kind of the, the way that it plays out is that there's this comic book that kind of illustrates and the way that they pitch the comic book is not so much that it's a telling of her death, her actual death as that mm. she like was a uh she was this child star who was famous for her scream uh and that she had um been like she had kind of guest starred in this comic um now i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure whether like that's the actual story or whether somebody else like edie somehow had this uh this comic book uh kind of created to to be part of her little shrine thing yeah it's um, true. she did yeah yeah but um yeah so the uh the story the general story is that um barbara is uh kind of a washed up i guess um and, and doesn't have a career in acting anymore although she would kind of like to she's invited to be at this uh convention this horror convention um, but she has to do her scream, which she can't do anymore. And, you know, it's just kind of a setup for her being in what is effectively a Halloween type of film. Um, Halloween, mm. uh, I was going to say capital H, just capital H either way. Halloween, Halloween like yeah, Halloween, boy. the film, um, kind of, which, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. which actually, uh, I don't, I don't know whether this is an intentional kind of thing lapse or not, but, um, given the time period, Halloween would not have been out yet. So, um, I, I don't. I, it's it's probably that's just, a very good point yeah i mean I it's quite it, well talked, I, don't, you know? I doubt that that really means anything it's not that important in the in no, the, no. Um, grand scheme of things it's just something i kind of thought of but uh but yeah, yeah she's yeah. so she's you know 16 she's in school she's like working as a waitress i think um and you know her boyfriend comes over there's kind of the the traditional scary story like oh there's a escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand who's roaming around killing people and yeah, that uh, I think that the idea is supposed to be that she is eventually killed by this this escaped mental patient. Um, but yeah. they it is a little bit vague um, mm. because the the comic book sets it up as um, that it's it's a um, uh she hasn't found her scream, so everything is kind of a setup for That's for it. her to yeah. be uh, surrounded by all of these creatures these that she thinks are just people in Halloween costumes, but no, actually, they're really monsters, and, you know, that's that's what happened. She got killed by a bunch of horror movie monsters. Mm, yeah. Um, and again, just like, you know, with the, the tentacle monster, like, it's, it's probably not that. Like, it's probably mm. that either there was just a, a random murderer or it was her boyfriend or, you know, something something yeah. like that. Yeah. A, a much more mundane explanation. But the comic book situation, which I really liked that section. I don't I don't know about you guys. Um, I, I thought that was neat because it it tells part of it kind of just in in static pictures. But then also there are a couple of bits that you play. But yeah. the art style is that of the comic book still. And yeah, so, they put a filter on it. Yeah. So it's got that low color kind of uh bold garish so ultimately i think she was just murdered in the house and i think the the important aspect here is that walter her her brother that she's looking after ultimately sees her get murdered in the house which is Mm -hmm. what causes essentially 
his story arc to take place because that yeah. I mean that once again everything interlinks into everything. So the fact that he sees that is what causes his storyline to happen, which but combined with the uh, with the other premature for, deaths for of the sure. Family. But this is what starts at I think the real yeah. It, what is happening with this house? Is this house cursed? You know, is this family cursed? And mm-hmm. beyond, because the the whole Barbara kind of the play up of being famous and whatnot. I think there's aspects here where Edie, her mum, actually quite likes the attention that the family was getting at this time, and she almost quite liked the attention that there's been two deaths, and there was talk of you know, especially this one being. Oh wow! I hadn't yeah, even so, considered so that. If you look at a lot of the the kind of the cuttings and paper, a lot of what's happening in in Barbara's room is that Edie's kind of almost making this shrine of like who the family is and it becomes a highlight of the town and you and if you look around the house there's cuttings out around the house that she's keeping because the family name starts to become a celebrity Mm. name in different papers and stuff about there's been two deaths in a very short period of time and as the deaths Mm. happen within the house so does the celebrityism of the of the house itself and she starts to yeah. be the one that actually really starts pushing the narrative of this house being more than just and this house and this family being more than just coincidence and unfortunate it's about yeah um a curse because she kind of sees it as a identity for the house and her family as weird as that is and that's actually something that dawn has to struggle with because you'll see that towards the back end of the game when Dawn's like, you cannot yeah. do this to my daughter as well. Like you infect as us as a family with this nonsense as she describes it. And that's essentially why they, she decides to escape with Edith, but it all plays from this very moment here where she starts to, to hook onto this celebritism of what Barbara was and then what was happening within this house. I mean, this is, this once again interpretations. Other people might have different things, but it, it's I, this is why I think it's important. When I went through the game a second time, you pick up on this stuff. You're not just focused on the events yeah. that you're just playing through. You actually then start to look right. behind, you know, the script, behind the closed door, behind you know what yeah. the scenery is actually telling you because you know what the outcome is towards the back end of the game. Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's a key difference, and and why I'm glad we've got your perspective, having played it twice in short order, because for the rest of us, we've all had a gap <laughs> of five years, and it certainly helped remind me of mm. the events. Um, but perhaps that sort of replaying it twice in quick succession uh, does help you kind of examine it in a slightly different way. The neat thing I, I that I like about this one as a, as opposed to some of the other stories is that you can see physical evidence in the in the modern day house you're exploring from the story mm. so um like as you come back uh, uh like like when barbara in the comic book story knocks the hook man off the balcony and onto the table right like uh, obviously we we don't believe or at least i don't believe that that actually happened in real life however if you look at that section of the railing on, in the house, it's been repaired. It's been broken. Right. The wood's yeah. different. It's like tacked on. Um, but then there's other things like Barbara's ear supposedly was left in the music box and there was blood on the music box, but that's not the no, key. Is, right. when yeah. you go back down to the music box. I mean, but yeah. theoretically, the key is, but theoretically, that would have been cleaned if that was the case. You know, so you're left to fill in the gaps, but you can see some physical evidence of that parts of, at least parts of the narrative are true. Mm. And um, and and to, to what Tony was just saying about, about Edie is that. The, 
as you look at there, there's these news clippings where, um, and and the, and then uh, Edith, the narrator, will say, you know, mom was really mad that 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 grandma uh, grandma Edie talked to the new newspaper about this, and then you'll mm-hmm. find the newspaper clipping on the mm-hmm. wall where she's giving an interview, and that newspaper clipping was saved and framed and put there, and then obviously Edie is making all of these like kind of wood print shrines these to to everybody else, and it's just kind of. Um, it's all very interesting, um, to see that she is kind of leaning into the big air quotes curse of the house and kind of embracing it as a personality trait or a family trait, as opposed mm. to fighting against the stigma of it. Um, but again, that's a lot yeah. of, and, and it's, once again, it gaps. already comes into how each person is interpreting death within their own, um, lives, you know, Edie here, she she's very open about death and the fact that almost the first thing they build with the house is the cemetery because, and it's not just kids that are people that bury it. Like they've got the pets there. Like she's obviously quite comfortable with death existing around their people and that's yeah. fine. But also there would be arguments that because she is so comfortable, she doesn't actually explore, um, not the damage, but the, the psychological trauma it can cause in different people it's not just her narrative it's how other people then take that that trauma but for her it's almost like it becomes a celebratory thing that she wants to celebrate let's move on to calvin's segment which is uh it's fairly brief but um i'd say quite affecting for such a simple piece of gameplay um so there's a wedding it, i can't remember whose wedding it is actually is is part of the fact that that he's refusing to join in with the fun relevant i believe i believe that's gus's yeah i don't i, th- I don't think calvin is, uh, has anything to do with the Cal- wedding calvin calvin's story is told by his brother sam yeah and like the letter about his brother and and he was just saying that um since i forget what the precipitating event was i apologize um but basically mm. they had agreed to mm-hmm. not live in fear and Sam had told Calvin that there's no way you can swing and go yeah. all the way around. That's right. The old uh, and then that, and and that's yeah. such a such a, a brilliant thing I think to put in a in a game because it's we something all, yeah. like I reckon <laughs> we all, thought, we all thought of when we were kids, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we all tried it, and you all got to that moment, <laughs> and there's that yeah. beautiful <laughs> moment where zero where G. He swings backwards <laughs> and he goes up past the bar or like past yeah. the branch, and you can feel it kind of lose that control. It's and scary. I think we've all done that, and nope. then when you yep, get to that stop. moment, you're like, "Whoa!" Yep, you're like, you yeah. know, the fight or flight kicks in, and, um, and then you jump off the swing and, and you yeah, just that go was... flying, and your mother is very <laughs> yeah. upset with you because you scrape your knees and you're bleeding when you come <laughs> yes. back. And I don't know anything about that, though. It's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course not. Yeah. No, that that um, it's just so Kids it's such days, a simple, real <laughs> simple <laughs> representative of stuff that yeah. like like most people have experienced or at least thought about experiencing that exact feeling. Um, and then like just the, the, the sheer joy and panic of actually doing it, then following it by, by, you know, Mm. by the death is just, it's just a, that's a, it's a very effective moment in the game and very quiet too. Yeah. It's a very, all you really hear is the sound of the swing creaking. Yeah, great use of audio. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind great. of where uh, one of the examples of why I think it's it 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 is at least in parts uh, a celebration is because you know it's it yeah it it does end in tragedy but 
it's also just this triumph of uh, the, the thing about his brother's letter saying that, you know, if he said he was going to do something, then he did it. <laughs> uh, and in this case, he said he was going to swing over the thing. And like the last line fly. of it is, and he did, you know, so like it's, yeah. it's it, it is sad, but it's also um, kind of a, a win for him in a weird, dark way. He went out doing <laughs> what he wanted to do. Exactly. But I think why that's so impactful for everybody is because we've all tried. Well, we'll try, you, you you know what that feeling. And I've watched my kids try to do it, and you're like, no, like you think that's a good idea, don't do it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but how? Yeah, having that moment where you do, and you're like, oh god, that is my stomach <laughs> right there. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I'm coming to this game a little bit later than the rest. You know, that is the scene that a lot of people uh, I've heard reference to. Like I, I knew Calvin was going yeah. to go flying up that. That swing because I'd I'd heard a lot of people mm. uh, reference it um, just because right. I think it's and you have to do that's... the swinging too, yeah. which is kind of neat. Like I, yeah. it doesn't really tell you what to do. No, it took me a while both to realize because this actually yeah. mechanically uses both power <laughs> sticks. Yeah, yeah. For a while, I was just kind Rocking of kicking about. my right leg. Yeah, <laughs> just because I was only hitting the right trigger. <laughs> that sort of works in a in a way because i remember for years not really getting how to do the bigger and bigger swings thing and shifting your weight around and all that kind of stuff well, that, um, then last year so it yeah. just all clicked so like, <laughs> yeah exactly age 48 <laughs> and his 50th birthday he did fly um, no. um <laughs> give it a go but i mean ultimately though that then travels into sam's story um and has an impact on his life and one because calvin part of the room is memorialized by Edie again as she likes to do with her children's um death and he has to s essentially sleep next to that with a you know, like a red cordon off from his side of the bunk bed which yeah, you know a bit weird not you know it's one thing remembering your brother who were, you were very close with it's another thing having his belongings essentially stay in your room for another 10 15 years while you're at, at home it's and of course, in between, though, before before we even get to uh, to Sam's death, there's still mm. three more to come. Uh, Sven is the one. Now, I had a bit of a Mandela effect here because I was waiting to experience Sven's being <laughs> crushed by a dragon shaped slide, age forty nine. But you don't. You only hear about it and see it in photos. Or you don't even see his death. You just see the dragon. You slide. do, but Edie describes it as he's killed. Fought it, fought, yeah, fighting fought a dragon, dragon and, yeah. and this is where I think her her coming in and ultimately glamorizing is the wrong word, but you know, what I mean? like mythologizing. That's it's mytho yeah, mythologizing. Yeah. Word. Mythologizing is a word that I was after <laughs> and would be perfectly suited like here. Um, no, but it, this is where she starts to even the people, her, you know, her most closest people become sort of aggrandizing the Finch yeah. history and and actually embellishing it to make it more of a, a, a yeah rather than have it as a, a sequence of tragedies she's actually trying to make it into a mythology but is that yeah is that a healthy thing or an unhealthy thing do you, would you <sighs> to say the per well this is where you get into really heavy you know psychological yeah it's, that's the idea well, it's <laughs> it's how you deal with death and i think at this point anybody that's playing into this game i think the idea of this house being cursed of any way by this point you're like no these are just unfortunate circumstances that have yeah. happened in close proximity to each individual members i mean sven was a builder he built lots of stuff and ultimately he goes to build a dragon for is it for sam i think he requests mm. it and ultimately Can't his remember. 
Yeah, no, yeah, it was it was first Sam because I remember them speaking yeah, that Sam so, felt guilty about his father's death as well as his that's an unfortunate yeah. accident that happens as well. Um, but and she just she yeah starts to I don't know yeah just mythologize I can't say that word I'm going to say that she starts to imagine um, and and brings the the bigger text to her family's yeah. legacy here and then starts yeah. to give it more of a life. It's whether she's doing it for herself or for I other people. I think a people, bit of both in this scenario, honestly. Yeah. Mm. So, Tony, what you're saying is that she imagined dragons? <laughs> up top. Up top. Yeah. Across the pond. <laughs> Americans. Uh, Why don't we invite the Americans? A little bit. <laughs> Mark FM 007 from Patreon says, Edith Finch was a very moving game for me. I loved unlocking each room in this house, ripped straight from a children's tale and how the story is told through Edith and her reflections on her family and their deaths. Each memory is presented in a unique way that captures the character of that person, balancing tragic stories with elements of dark comedy, storybook-style fantasy, and a reflective understanding of each person and their fate. These stories reflect on how death and loss can often be senseless, tragic, undeserved, and how to move forward knowing that. The interactivity is simple, but places you in each story in ways that really surprised and stuck with me. I'd recommend this game to anyone, as even if it doesn't resonate with you in the same way it did me, it has such an engaging and imaginative way of telling its story that I think it's worth experiencing. Parts that stood out for me were Lewis Coronation, Barbara's horror comic, The Underground Bunker, and The Bathtub. Which brings us to The Bathtub, which is, uh, I think for many people, the most difficult sequence, even though up until it ends, it's actually quite light and joyful until you kind of i mean you know obviously you know tragedy is looming because it's the finch family and you've already played through multiple segments uh but you know the environment is colorful the the what what you're seeing through the character's eyes which is a 22 month old baby uh uh frogs playing around in bubbles and uh dancing ducks and 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 all this kind of happy stuff but then we also know that this is gregory's father trying to kind of um make some kind of uh, give himself some sense of succor from what is just an awful awful tragedy which he feels partly responsible for because he phoned his estranged wife during yeah, I think they were in the process of yeah during the child's bath yeah. i mean i would yeah. i would say the fact that he phoned is probably less of a of an issue than the fact that she was leaving, you know, apportioning blame is, seems incredibly cruel, but she uh, she's the one who's actually there with the baby and uh, and leaves the baby in the bath alone. Not for very long, but for too long. And um, yeah, you end up kind of swimming in this uh, undersea fantasy and down the plug hole as it goes. But of course, the, the reality of that scene would have been much more mundane and just unimaginably horrifying. So... Um, for those of you, I know, you know, I, 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 I kind of balk a bit when people say, you know, the, these these bits don't affect you unless you're a parent kind of thing. Well, I can say that isn't true. But of course, I do understand that if you're able to put an actual person that you know and are in, impossibly close to your own children in that scenario is likely to be uh, perhaps more disturbing. Was that what you found, Tony? Um I think because it's such a well-worn, like, you don't do these things. I think it's one of those right. ones that's really obvious the moment you're there, what's going to happen. And I've, yes. I've actually heard a few bits of commentary, even Darren on our, on our forum, talking about you know being angry with 
I guess it's dawn in this case. Um, right. No, yeah, for walking out K, the room. Wouldn't it? Yeah, okay. Dawn is, okay, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, Dawn is um, Edith's yeah. mother. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah so right. being angry with the mother for even allowing, like, even for a second not being there. And, and I think that's probably mm. more of the reaction I had, which is like, you just don't, like, you don't walk out there. And these are conversations that you wouldn't mm. necessarily need. I suppose a phone then isn't on a mobile phone, it's in a different room, and that's where you are. And, you know, as far as she was concerned, she turned the tap on, off, and. The baby was fine there. But it, yeah, so for me, it is actually more anger about the parenting than it was anything, which is right. weird, I know. But, but I mean, again, um, I, I completely <laughs> I completely get that. But wouldn't you also like every every parent knows, especially, you know, when they've got a, a baby of that age, like misadventure yeah. can happen almost instantly at a split second without and it wouldn't necessarily be like obviously a bathtub is a situation that you should be monitoring very closely but the amount of tragic tales involving infants where some you know crazy sequence uh, of events absolutely caused but something and awful. here you go again it's yeah. just it's looking at these events that are dreadful and awful um but are just a everyday life tragic circumstances that happen and it you know it is yeah ultimately happening within the same family but a different subset of people within that family um and yeah it's just it's it's a good reminder for anybody that you know is, <laughs> that is a, a parent and have youngsters that never just take anything for granted yeah. that your kid i mean the first two or three years of your child is they do attempt to kill themselves almost every day and it's about that learning mm. lesson of yep being there to when they fall to catch them and get them back up again but definitely don't walk away from a kid in a bath because it takes as we always get told when everybody it only takes a couple of seconds for someone to drown you know yep yeah but the 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 events thereafter are yeah uh, magical i guess in some bizarre way like it's one of the the more yeah odd moments so this is gonna uh like like I, like I said, the first time I played through this game, my my son was six months old, my firstborn son. Um, I've talked about this on the podcast before a little bit. He spent the first month of his life in the hospital because he was premature, and um, things were never really touch and go or anything. But it was definitely like, you know, there was there was stuff that we had to consider, like you know, caloric intake, body temperature, monitoring heart rate when we got home, things like that. Um, and obviously, as Tony knows, and anybody else, anybody else who's even had a pet knows this. When you and I'm, I'm not joking at all because people always joke about it. Well, if you don't have kids, you don't understand. No, if you're ever responsible for taking care of a small, young, living thing, you understand that moment of what you just said, Tony. That like they're just they just tried to kill themselves all the time without knowing it. Um, and so the actual drowning in the bathtub didn't affect me nearly as much as seeing the memorial in the crib. Uh. Like that that hit me like I don't know like it hit me like a ton of bricks and and I, and I think it was because. I was literally picturing the room behind me where the baby was yeah, sitting in the crib. Right. You know what I mean? So I remember what I did is that like I've I've spoken openly on the podcast before about getting emotional during games and, and this wasn't one where I actually got like physical tears or anything like that, but I do remember after this I put down the controller and went up and got the baby monitor, which was on the other side of the room, and just brought it a little bit closer. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like like it was just one of those things that was just like 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 Tony said, kind of a good reminder. And just um just just that that feeling like, I, I said this to Leah on a slack message like like the way this game hits you with loss 
is so interesting because like I didn't know these characters for I I knew the character of Gregory for a hot two minutes and and even the characters in the game I'd only known for an hour or maybe at this point hour and a half maybe it just the way the game is able to make you feel like that tangible sense that you're losing something is really interesting and I and I think it's purely the presentation because obviously it has to do that in a pretty short amount of time to make you feel that emotional connection I think it does it really well I think the Gregory scene gets a lot of talk because of the age of the child and and because how do you depict something like that without without upsetting a certain portion of people you know i mean it's it's very it can be very affecting anybody who's ever lost a loved one of, of any age let alone a young age um but the the way that it just was just presented and the way that it w- was very effective and i think kind of i think they really accomplished something here with with not making it so horrifying you couldn't look at it kind that's of thing that's it it and, wasn't uh, like sensationalized really and mm-hmm. to yeah. hear it, you would kind of think, because I mean, by, by this time we have established the precedent that all of these deaths are happening in the first person. Like you are playing as the people who died at the moment that they die. And like, how do you do that with a child who is a baby who is less than two years old? Like it's, playing with his rubby duckies. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that, and that's it, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Like it looks like a, a Disney movie or something. It's It's got, mm-hmm. you know, the, the it's. It's Tchaikovsky, by the way, and I think that mm-hmm. they use that. That's piece right, in, Fantasia. I was going to say, of, I think yeah, they yeah. use that piece in Fantasia. Uh, so I mm. mean, literally drawing parallels yeah. to Disney in some yeah. ways, and you know, you, you just see all of these toys just dancing, and you know, it's it's if it wasn't if it didn't end the way it does, it would be just this delightful thing that it happened. You know, yeah, this, a bit of whimsy. Yeah, but but it's not, and you know, you like like Brian says the the, the thing that you that you take away is not necessarily that you find that you find out exactly what happened to this child but you see the memorial afterwards and that i I think Mm. that hits just as hard Uh, and it's not in a in a like i I don't even want to say like a gory way it's not even in like a no a, a way that is intentionally shocking i think is the word that i want i mean it is hmm, but yeah. but it's not in in like a tabloid kind of way it's not graphic is what right. i'm looking for the next vignette is for gus who uh, it's a fairly brief one this again you're flying a kite this is the one that, in a at storm? the wedding yeah he mm. he, yeah, he basically sorry, just refuses wedding, to yeah. be a part of it because he doesn't want i guess it's his father being remarried mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and yeah yeah, sorry, I got those muddled up because they're they're quite uh, geographically where well, they're both yes. outside the house on the beach or similar area. Uh, yeah, you're flying a kite with an analog stick. Um, I mean, you know, some of these deaths, obviously, that the Finch family suffers are just through a lack of sensible risk assessment <laughs> or caution management. Yeah, it gets hit yeah. by a marquee essentially. Yeah, yeah, I find it, I find it um, like very believable um, in the sense that like. Uh, you know, when the adults are having a party, nobody's really watching the 13-year-old. You know what I mean? Who needs to watch a 13-year-old? They're 13. You know what I mean? They The, the adults are like, oh, well, the storm's coming. Let's go inside, have a few more drinks. You know, like, it, it's like it's a celebration. Oh, you don't know worry I mean? about so, Gus. Like, He's just the, being a teenager. Being Gus. Being a teenager. Yeah. Being sulky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he doesn't, yeah, I think it, the one line specifically says, he says, I don't need a stepmom, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like, oh, let him be alone. Yeah, let him mm-hmm. do his own thing. You know, yeah, it has that feeling yeah. to it. That takes us on to Sam. 
and this one made me sad mainly because not only because it's kind of sudden and unnecessary but also because it involves animal cruelty mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh and not only that but this kind of um so sam is a uh he's he's yet ex-military right yeah and he's a bit of yeah. a survivalist sort of suggestion and his sort of take on the um the the finch family curses to get tooled up yeah, right because so right? it's the account um, of his, his death of, of calvin that makes him essentially go that he's not going to just sit and watch things happen he's going to join you know enlist it. and actually yeah. you know beat the curse by breaking the family or be, by being stronger yeah. um ultimately than the curse itself yeah and of course the irony being that's uh in the in the sort of style of the um the films like those films I've never seen, but the ones uh, the Final Destination movies, mm. it's almost like by trying to avoid your demise, you create the scenario within which it happens. Takes his daughter hunting, and it's not even a gun accident. Of course, it's actually the fact that he makes her shoot a, a stag, um, dawn, nice. which yeah, dawn, and um, and then goes to pose for a, one of those grotesque hunting photos that people like. And um and the the stag is actually still alive and <laughs> jumps up and nerfs him off the off the uh, with its antlers off off the uh, off the cliff. Um, I did like that segment with the uh, just up leading up to that point um, with the the camera. With, yeah, because you experience most of it just through taking uh, photos, yeah. both as as uh, Sam and as Dawn. Yeah, really cool. That yeah, yeah. and the, the the thing from that the the dad point of view of him trying to make sure his kids are ready for the future the way he sees it is to make sure like that they understand yeah how to how to protect themselves because it just makes me sad that it's a gun thing completely and and i I realize that's a realistic thing yeah but but it's um, that that kind of farly way that he actually he's trying to protect his daughter by taking her down the route of saying like this will be a way that you can protect yourself in the future and actually what he does is his daughter gets to witness his death and that is isn't that so that's one of the real key moments for dawn herself obviously you've seen your your father die is really you know it it shapes her story going forward about how she's dealing with death as well and how she presents it to her family i would just say the hardest part for me to to watch during this one was not the um the the death of sam but was how he was kind of making his sobbing daughter pose for mm-hmm. the picture yeah the yeah end. totally yeah like she's Horrible. crying over the corpse of the what's well, the presumed corpse of yeah. the deer she just shot and like that's a pretty real thing in the area that oh, yeah. i live yeah. in like like hunting hunting is wildly popular yeah. where i'm at especially deer hunting is, is yeah. incredibly like i grew up eating venison like it was all over the place like well, at least it was, you ate venison's it. real it good though yeah. i can i can attest yeah, <laughs> yeah no i i mean yeah, not yeah. not so much where where i am but i i mean my family in west virginia and like they let school out for deer season like it's it's yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Sure. Yeah, we had we had the the first opening day of deer season was always an unofficial school holiday for us because uh, so many teachers would call off to go hunting. Like that was how that was where I grew up, and so like like the idea of like a kid like I know kids that that w- get either got real and hunter and got so turned off by that first yeah. experience of going with dad mm-hmm. and seeing the Good. animal die and <laughs> going through the process and. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that that part actually kind of got to me. And then and then he's like, no, hold it up for a picture. Hold it. And, and she's clearly traumatized. Well, she's asking before. She's like, do I have to do this? You know, like. Do... Yes, exactly. And, and, yeah. I, I oh, I hate. Uh... I, I, it could have been worse. I will say, like, I don't think he he's was not exactly cool about nah. it. 
which I yeah, I can see sure. that hat. Like for I've sure. I've never been hunting, and I don't think I ever really want to. Um, I'm good, thanks. But um, <laughs> but like I I have heard you know stories from people who really didn't want to go, and their parents, you know, being especially guys, with their parents being very like you need to do this to be manly and you know that kind of yeah yeah bull. yeah yeah toxic yeah so the next death i was slightly fuzzy on so dawn goes to kolkata right yeah um just to kind of get away find herself yeah. see see the world escape the maybe escape the curse I think she's maybe doing um, something similar to like a um uh oh what's what's it like it, she's not exactly doing charity work but she's doing she works there yeah, yeah. like she's 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 gone away on purpose, basically. Yeah, to do good yes. things and and to see some more of the world and and she yeah because makes... they have that they have that scene where she, there's a Bible in her loft right and and um and uh uh young Edie oh no that I'm thinking of Dawn yeah, yeah. Dawn right that's yeah. what we're talking about yeah yeah Edie goes to Dawn's like loft and says Mom always kind of kept religion to herself mm. but there's a Bible in her mm -hmm. like. So it could have been some oh, form missionary of kind of missionary yeah, type yeah, of yeah, thing yeah. too. Yeah, it's it's very briefly mentioned though. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, good call. Uh, she she meets Sanjay and falls in love, and um, they get married. Do they get married in Kolkata or do they come back? I'm not sure. I think there's San some pictures anyway. around that kind of make it look like maybe they got married in India, but it, it could yeah. just be that they you know were married in the US mm. and and had a more traditional way. I don't I don't think that actually says specifically. No. Okay. Now, Sanjay dies in an earthquake, but I feel like I totally missed how and when this happened. I don't know. I mean, he's yeah. he, I, this this okay. sounds this sounds very dismissive, but he's not a finch. So, like, that's probably why he's not really focused. Yeah, upon. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so his death's important because it drives e, uh, e, it drives Dawn back to the family yeah. home yeah. with her mum, yeah. essentially. But then, of course, it could also uh, potentially so in the mind of. Uh, the finches that look even the people we touch even yeah. the people we get close to kind of get sucked in but of course an earthquake death in india is not necessarily the most unlikely scenario um but uh so is she pregnant already when she comes back I mean, i'm not sure she would I have to be right she would, <laughs> unless uh, unless he's not their father oh that's that's a good point an immaculate conception i think well i i <laughs> think to... uh, i i don't no, exactly. But she has, um, Dawn has three children, right? Um, yes. So I don't know exactly what the age range is there, like how many children she had. I, I guess she would have to have two kids on her way back. And because I, I think they are all said to be. That's uh, a very good point. Uh, uh, 1988, 1992 and 1999. Yeah, they're all they're all half Indian. Right. I think Lewis, Milton, and Edith. Yeah, so like she would probably um, have yeah. been pregnant with Edith as, as she's coming back. And uh, said that Sanjay died in two thousand two. There's a newspaper clipping, um, I think in the ah, right, okay. like in the nursery or the classroom. I can't remember uh, where it says it's basically. Uh, I'm looking at it now, so I'm not. I'm not just drawing <laughs> this all directly from memory, but um, that the 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 relief efforts end in disaster, and he died Ooh. then. So I, so they were. He was the father of all three, and and they had all been. Uh, long since born before yeah, his uh, cool. untimely demise got it so uh then the next um death is not necessarily a death now i'm not sure if this is if if this is concluded um some of the so the the, the family tree she draws in the book does have a a date on it um and the uh 
the the other the graphic I've I've got of the game says uh, to two thousand and three as it does on the, uh, but uh, Milton disappears and you actually see missing posters for Milton right at the start of the game. Uh, disappeared age eleven. Um, but is it, is it ever confirmed that he passed away? I don't away? think so. No, I don't believe it is. But it starts to right. play in about how Dawn has coped with her children and maybe how schizophrenia and mental health issues start mm. to affect the family from the family's history and past. And this is partly what then starts to happen around the Dawn's insistence that if her mum wants these rooms to stay where they are, that they need to be shut, closed, and the kids can't get into them because it's having an effect on the well-being of her children now. And essentially her mum's response to that is, I'll drill peepholes <laughs> into the room so yeah. I can still see yeah. them. But of course, you know, Edie talks about, um, yeah, Edie talks about this a lot about still, you know, looking through these peepholes, but then being kept a distance from who these people were and almost then just buying into the stories that have been told by uh, by Edie herself, essentially you know, these magical stories rather than actually just feeling like she knows these people. And it isn't until she goes into these rooms that yeah. she starts to understand who these people were, even though she's essentially lived with their memories the entirety of her life. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of play that happens at this point when she comes, um, mm. when Sanjay dies um, and uh, Milton, I mean, I guess Milton, yeah, he, supposedly I've kind of heard that he he has a, um, you know, a, a mental breakdown and just wanders one day and... Age 11. Yeah, just... I mean, it, obviously it can happen. Well, there's... Just clarifying that. There's talk about schizophrenia. Certainly, and you, when you... I think Lewis, is he the fish factory one? Yep. Yes. So yep. there's actually, when you talk about the psychiatrist and the doctor's reports are there that suggest that that is very much what mm. he's suffering on his medication and stuff. And there are suggestions that Milton is much the same there. Okay. And he, um, but Edith seems to escape any uh, mental health issues, as far as we know. They're not yeah, obvious. Yeah, I think... And I also read, too, in a couple of the documents that were shared um, that I believe Milton is um, uh, thought to be or at least alluded to in this game as being the protagonist from The Unfinished Swan. Mm-hmm. Of course, because his room has um, the music and yeah. the pictures, mm-hmm. the drawings. So he's like off. He's another one a bit like his brother, potentially, that's off in a, a fantasy world yeah. of some kind. Yeah. And I and I, I haven't played that, so I'm not I'm not uh, I, I don't know I can't really speak to it. You but, don't really um, need to 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 understand that aspect of this story. I wouldn't have yeah. said because although you might want to, I think off. you'd like it. Oh yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. When we cover it for the show, um, <laughs> in five years' time. <laughs> uh, no, that's interesting. But I quite like the the ambiguity about mm-hmm. it. If, if it is indeed ambiguous, in the sense that the answer to whether he lives or dies could provide some clue as to whether the curse is is real but of course mm, the yeah. fact that he's if he was a mentally disturbed 11 year old child and went wandering off on his own into a fantasy world he probably won't have survived simply because uh unless he you know it, it, either he'd have been found and returned or he you know would have again death by misadventure or starvation or yeah. whatever else hmm interesting also interesting so Walter, who's skipping back generation, uh, who 
after previous tragedies uh, basically became a, a, a the mad uncle who lived under the house in in a kind of yeah. almost like a nuclear basement kind of situation uh, living subsisting on tins of peaches listening to the radio from the outside world and eventually after 30 years or thereabouts yeah they, he says 30 plus i know that yeah he runs out of peaches and decides not to be a prisoner to this possibly fictitious curse anymore. But then what happens is definitely, I felt ambiguous. Now, according to the gameplay segment, with hilarious dark irony, he walks outside and is immediately run over by a train. Yeah. The thing is, of course, that there aren't trains running through the back garden of the, the Finch house, right? So that's not really what happens. Yeah, so when you actually walk down that train tunnel, right, it just kind of the it just, the tracks just kind of end there. They're like turned up. There's not like a yeah. There's not like a an exit route there, so it doesn't look like trains had ever run through. There. No. Well, weirdly, because um, he um, says he experienced the same earthquake every day, which you see at twelve o'clock every day happens, oh, right? Yeah, and yeah, right. So yeah, in so my head, that, would that be was the, the train yeah. at twelve o'clock going past, yeah. every, literally every day, and then one day it stops. That's and I agree. No yeah, noise. that's because the the re- part of the reason that he left is because he didn't hear that noise anymore. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah. So maybe the train, maybe it was decommissioned after the death. I'm mm. not sure. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's it's, so, it's certainly not cut I, and dry. I, I, so the, <laughs> that's for sure. The thing I've re- read is that he jumps into the sea, so he, he actually comes out and kills <laughs> himself. But I don't know. It doesn't. Well, I think true. for me, the bigger issue here. And this is the one, the few elements of this game, I'm like, this is kind of the cruel beyond belief, is mm. Edie facilitates the whole thing. Like, instead of saying <laughs> to her son, um, you know, we need to seek help, give you counselling, do any of these things. And I know it's a very different time, but, it, you know, this goes all the way to 2005. Instead of actually exploring the mental, you know, tor- tor- torture this, this person's been in, her solution is to actually placate his fantasy and keep him <laughs> locked down in a cellar and feed him peaches and keep him nutrition okay. while never. So Edie's the villain, but, is what we're but saying. Once, once again, <laughs> how she's dealing with death in her own way, but she's almost mm. created her own fantasy world where that that is perfectly acceptable and viable. Yeah, and at least it means. Well, I mean, it doesn't. Of course, he could have died in there for some other reason in a Final Destination style of some. Or you know, just because electric... he's been eating tinned peaches for thirty years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poisoned peaches. And po- po- <laughs> he could have died of dysentery or the fact that he's living with his own filth. You know, something like that. I don't think there's plumbing down there. Quiet Paul from the forum says, "Beautiful and heartbreaking in equal measure." What remains of Edith Finch feels like one of those occasions where someone sits you down and just tells you their life story, and you find it so gripping that you forget you're playing a game and just meander along, experiencing this family story as you go. A nice touch to place a hidden passage switch inside a copy of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, a story widely known for its explorative theme as you explore the old Finch family house, haunted by tragedy following tragedy. Although some family members' memories are more interactive than others, they can all be just as sad or as comical. I think most will relate to or at least remember Lewis' memory at the fish factory as I do. However, I also very much enjoyed Barbara's comic book memory with John Carpenter's Halloween theme playing throughout. I get I was supposed to use the crutch for self-defence, but it was enjoyable destroying the items in the environment. 
Walter's story was a favourite of mine, I relate a lot to that one, being careful and keeping himself safe within the confines of his little room from the curse, only to finally give up, go outside and be hit by a train. Sod's law. It was his eventual willingness to live that got him out after being locked away for so long, and his attitude to appreciate everything and smoosh. <laughs> or splash, possibly. I think in some way we can all relate to some of the family members and their battles with mental illness or their reaction to each other's deaths. Often we forget that death is as much a part of life as breathing and thinking and going to the toilet, talking of stools. It was interesting to see into the existence of a family plagued by death, fictional or not, as we can in some way still empathise. Which brings us to Lewis, who is a 22-year-old at the time of his, his, his passing. He's already uh, been seeing a therapist or counsellor or psychologist, psychiatrist of some kind uh, due to his, I guess, what, what would we say, sort of disaffected. And um, I don't know, I, I wasn't quite certain here if there was a, an anti-drugs message, the, the idea that maybe the, the weed isn't helping his mental situation any. I didn't really or get the, that. I just no, kind of no. got that that was one of the things that, really identified yeah. him was that mm. he is a stoner very clearly like you go into yeah. his room and it's all neon and bongs and just yep marijuana leaves yep so yeah. um i i think that they were using that more as a way to kind of like the way that um uh barbara's room was very pink and you know yeah. looks like a child star room and and that yeah. Yeah, that is sort of part of what happens to her but it's not like it, it's not kind of all mm. of it um so he gets a job or his mum i think gets him a job at the local cannery where he is asked to uh, perform a uh, repetitive task of slicing off fish heads manually with a guillotine like a guillotine mm. machine um which he does day after day, turns up for work. Sounds like he's, I think there's implication that he has no, he doesn't, does he make, he doesn't make no, friends he with just anyone. He just sticks no. to his job and gets the fish cut. He just turns yeah. in, turns up. Yeah. And so we see on the corner of the screen, and this is, yeah, perhaps mechanically one of the most interesting segments. I think, I think it's the combination of the mechanics and the, the storyline of this that, uh, that really kind of, makes it one of the standout segments plus the fact that the kind of pe people playing a video game like this <laughs> are often very likely to associate with the story as i think it was leah said earlier that I'd, or was it brian the idea of being in a mundane repetitive job but be it also rather you know kind of in your mind you're at home playing video games uh, or you know living out some kind of more exciting fantasy uh, so that's what happens the the left side of the screen Starts off as a very kind of simple top-down RPG kind of situation, um, you, which you're controlling with the left stick. And with the right stick, you continue to move the fishes into the guillotine and slide them into the slide them onto the conveyor belt. Um, the as time goes by, the fantasy becomes more elaborate and more overwhelming to the point that he's imagined himself as this. A mighty ruler in this land where he has all this agency and worship and fun and color and all this other stuff while he's doing simultaneously doing this stinky nasty mundane repetitive job uh and ultimately am i not i'm not jumping ahead too no. far am i here no um he, one day uh the fantasy gets to the point where he's being coronated 
crowned king of this land uh and instead of chopping the fish off uh, chopping the fish's head off in the guillotine he bows down to be crowned and puts his own head in the guillotine and that is the end of him so this is i think it's an interesting death uh, and story as well because technically it's a suicide right but was it purely psychosis that led him to do this or did he actually was was the fantasy so strong that he literally forgot what he was doing and accidentally killed himself or was there an element of he knew that the fantasy was a fantasy and his actual life was not what he wanted it to be so he took his own So life. I have two things yeah. to say about this uh and one is that I I know it kind of ruins the the scenario because I I this did very this this one hit pretty hard um mm -hmm. but there is no way that they would not have safety features that would prevent him from doing that <laughs> um but That's anyway um no i i think that that one of the things and i i would i would bet that we can all relate to this um is one of the things that really stood out to me about this is they make a point several times of saying how his bosses were like he's the best worker he is just ideal for this he is just he's mm -hmm. always on time he works tirelessly and like mm. he was miserable that entire time like well he mm. wasn't miserable that's the point like because he took himself out of that like he was mm. ideal because to them he, he just wasn't even didn't complain yeah. about anything he was just this drone as far as they could see and that's the perfect employee yeah exactly and i i i think that we've probably all had some kind of experience like that oh boy. um uh, and and you know that's it's very realistic and therefore very depressing to me um that that is yeah. a situation that that happened and that the, and that that was how other people saw it like he was in this kind of trouble to the point where he would do something like this regardless of his his ultimate reasoning for it and whether it was kind of accidental or was was a very intentional thing and they just thought that it was that he you know showed up every day and everything was fine so that I, that to me was was a, yeah. a hard one i think poignant yeah. I, I would be interested actually tony um because you're not you're you're not a, a drone who uh, <laughs> slaves away for somebody well you can't you know you kind of are in that you have clients but also you're your own you have agency and you do a job which is creative to an extent, albeit backbreaking and um, and rewarding. I might say, um, your own business in gardening. Does 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 the, the does the the thing you know the you know have, you've never done data entry or fish head chopping or anything like that. So does this segment resonate in the same <laughs> no, way? No, I mean that, even though I do work, from, there, there is mundaneness to everybody's jobs in some sure. some sure. regards. Yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah, there's yeah. always going to be something you do over and over. Even again. if you're an actor or a but, footballer yeah, the, or whatever. The reason yeah. I don't do that is because I don't enjoy that. And I decided very on an early age that I didn't want to just do something that I didn't enjoy for work because, you know. Absolutely. But in, in, yeah, there's not always a choice case, for everyone, we should say that. It's, no, of course not. And you have to make, you know, well, we won't get to that. But um, in this case, I think what is interesting is the doctor's report or the psychiatrist's report of how she feels like she should step in and say maybe this isn't the job for him, but mm. because the employer is so happy with him and it seems to be the thing that's keeping him calm and restrained from other aspects of his life. Yeah, giving him some sort of focus, focus and routine. Yeah. She actually says, no, he should stay here and do this as well as up his medication. Yeah. And... Right. Obviously, and then at the end, almost apologise to 
dawn that maybe yeah. it was the wrong call and maybe she should have done something a bit sooner mm. uh, which is That's a good pretty point about the medication because yeah. i said about the, the the weed thing but actually it could just as as much be a sort of a, a, a cautionary tale yeah, about it, over over prescribing um and it, and it comes in again about Edie's openness to to embrace death into her family and almost symbolize it you have dawn who after everything that's happened and actually i think the disappearance of milton drives her to a point where she actively avoids talking about death within her family and actually makes sure that her children are almost sheltered away from it which is the complete opposite end of what you probably should do understandable in this scenario but she's got a mum that's going too far then they've got a mum that's going too far the opposite way and if you look at it that's no wonder you know the children that live there ultimately have two very different uh, aspects of upbringing in in that house and a legacy of that house that is is the house uh, have a curse in it no but there is a legacy within the family that there's a lot of baggage and ultimately, you could argue that is what causes the psychosis. Self-fulfilling prophecy. With Lewis. And situation. his yeah. death is what inspires Dawn to take her final remaining child of Edith and saying, we are, like, it doesn't matter. We are going today. Like, I'm, and they don't pack anything. That's we, right. They, they, she literally leaves the house yeah. and says, mum, you're coming. And, you know, Edith's like, no, she this is no. my home. This is where I live. And one of the most interesting ones there is, over that dinner table she says look you cannot drink alcohol while eating your dinner and her ed her mum just almost like whatever like you you can't tell me what to do they drive away and then that's when you basically know of Edie's death as sub it's almost made out that ed either commits suicide through taking too much or it's an accidental death oh yeah she she's mixed medication yeah. with alcohol and essentially yeah. Yeah. that's the end of that whole being in that house until another was it five mm. six years um yeah ed is 93 the, at the time of her yeah. passing the the thing of, of, about lewis's death mm. that it, w it was uh like i i want to talk quickly about the medication thing just because um like uh, the the use of mental health medication to you know to um to treat mental illness is, is something that that unfortunately a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about but a lot of people are required to do um yeah, for sure I, I i am i'm on i talk very openly about the fact me that too. i'm on medication yeah, for anxiety and depression and and i um and and it, and it doesn't uh i'm fortunately enough on a, on a manageable amount to where i i don't lose any of my faculties while yeah, on it you know same. i just it kind of brings me to a a manageable I'm high level. right now um i'm not <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but uh so the thing that's that's interesting is like w when you hear the psychologist talk about that and then talk about his um kind of fantasy world anybody who's ever done and i don't even just mean mundane work I, like 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 tony said every, everybody's work has a level of mundanity to it but the the like there's something about a repetitive physical activity that it, that in and of itself is meditative um like uh i used to split wood for a living like that's oh, what i did when right, i first okay. got out of high school you know i used to we literally you bring wood over the splitter you split it into four pieces and you put it in the pile and then at the end you stack proper the work that's what <laughs> that you, yeah so so but there is something you mm -hmm. lose yourself in that work you really do not because you're so you know passionate about splitting wood it's because it's such it's the exact same physical action over and over and mm -hmm. over again that you can't help but find yourself drifting and if someone is predisposed to that um, to losing themselves in a fantasy world, to 
to losing touch with reality. Like I can, um, like I can really, I could really see that as being, uh, like, like a real concern for somebody in that way. And it could come across as, yeah, this guy's the perfect employee. This guy, uh, he does, does, his numbers are great, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like the more fish heads cut per minute than anybody else. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't in the entire process. He was just losing himself. And, um, and when you get to the end there, like as as the fantasy has taken over the whole part of the screen, and, and it has this really cool mechanic where sometimes like the doors to the castle, like it, there's a fish there, and until you cut the next <laughs> fish, the door won't open. Like little mm. things like that are mm. make it really visually interesting. Um, but once that fantasy full on takes hold, you lose complete control of the job itself. And that moment of just like yeah, he, that was the point where he he had fully given in, and and whether or not he knew or didn't know that it was the end mm. of it he was still compelled to be crowned king, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. even if he didn't know or thought that it would lead to his death, he the the idea of the job had gone away completely. And I found that to be pretty powerful. And, um, and yeah, I, I, whether or not uh, the psychologist was right, wrong, or indifferent, um, he was certainly on that path and, and, and literally and figuratively leaned into it mm-hmm. towards the end and um, leading to that, uh, to his demise, but... Um, yeah, I, I found that segment like a lot of people, but it's, it's got a lot of writing at the time. It just it, it's fascinating from a number of, a number of yeah. perspectives. Mm. Seth from our forum says, I think the reason what remains of Edith Finch stands out is not only the variety of visuals in its sequences, but that the stories themselves are interesting and engrossing. But also incredibly bleak. There's a strange juxtaposition in doing something incredibly lighthearted and fun, such as playing in a bath or trying to go higher on a swing before realising that you're creating the final moments of a small child whose fate is in your hands, but you're powerless to change the outcome. It's Paul Lewis's fate in the fish factory that stands out as the most impactful for me. This section seems to have been written by someone who has been there, both physically and mentally, or at least knows someone who has. I think that ultimately the reason this section hits as hard as it does is not only because of the tragic loss of a troubled young man, but also because you know this is happening to people every day when it's something that could be avoided. Many of the deaths in the Finch family could be boiled down to accidents or misfortune, whereas here it's just utterly tragic. The presentation of this section is something that could only be done in a game as no book or movie can show the concept of daydreaming in this way mm-hmm. by allowing the player to control two actions simultaneously. Um, so Edie, we mentioned, um, and that brings us to Dawn, who has perhaps one <laughs> of the most mundane and realistic deaths. She dies of illness, age 48, as people do. Yeah, it sounds like cancer, doesn't it? It just sounds... Yeah, yeah. yes. There's a photo of her, I think, with with no hair and stuff like that so um yeah but you don't play this section funnily enough no i mean you i guess you hold your mum's hand as she's on her deathbed but oh that's true yeah of course you do um, quite right yeah and it's i think that's probably what grounds a lot the game out is that the fact is that you know (laughs) she does just have a, a a natural unfortunate demise of too many people from dying from a you know disease like that too early in their lives and it's not a curse it's just unfortunately a horrible scenario of what happens to life and you know Mm. edith gets to experience it but i i think along the way of all these deaths and journey of from the house she is at this point now into an era so when she she dies in 2016 is it so you know there is an era of mental health support and 
a lot more understanding. I think she's clearly a lot more clued up being away from the house and being with her mum and talking a bit more about it openly. But she doesn't even... Ironically, she never actually knows about... Is it... Um, Sam's death? Is it... Sam, yeah, Sam is the one who dies on the hunting trip, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. she actually... Yeah. That's the first time when she goes back to the house and does the exploration. That's the first time she hears of how he actually died. Uh. And right. so that's how closed her mum has become is that not always mm. not actually sharing how her own father, how Dawn, yeah. her, her dad died. And mm. yeah, it's so just from hearing the storytelling back through the book, you can feel that Edith has has moved on. Like she understands what's happened and she wants to, to write this diary to her, you know, forthcoming child to explain and not to be afraid of the legacy of her family and in in fact actually to now she understands it to embrace it and not listen to the stories and not listen to the you know the symbolism of it all and actually just live a life and obviously she's writing this this book in the hope that she can tell this story as you know to her to her child in, in the present but actually knowing that you know childbirth is can be dangerous and wants this story laid out and ultimately yeah Edith's death comes along through childbirth of her son Chris yeah yeah as my friend put it um, after losing both his parents quite recently in the end we are all cancer's bitch mm -hmm. Black Mamba Jesus says what remains of Edith Finch is one of those interesting experiences that I don't think I could have gotten anywhere else I really enjoyed the various subplots regarding each family member's untimely demise and how each one subsequently affected another member of the family. Barbara's story was probably one of my highlights because how it morphs into a comic book shifting from panel to panel as you play out her final moments. The fish cannery is also amazing in its exploration of getting lost in your own world. I was able to deduce that Edith was pregnant before the reveal but hadn't worked out that the story was being told after she died. The game also works like M. Night's The Sixth Sense where after knowing the twists, you can play through it again and see how well they were all set up. For example, when you first start the game, you notice that it's another person's arm reading Edith's book. And if you look down immediately when taking control of Edith, you can see her slight baby yep. bump. I'm curious, actually, why does Chris have a arm bandage? I know Edith wears these gloves um, for no particular reason other than a stylistic choice. I think they're, uh, I'm not really sure, but... Um, but when Chris has an arm bandage on his right arm, I don't know if that's is the suggestion that he's cheated the curse or something like that. Or is that complete red herring? I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a cast. Yeah, arm, I did too. Sure, um, the wire, how? It's interesting. There must be a reason for it, right? right other, yeah. other than unless it's just to echo the, unless it was just to throw you off the scent of the Edith's glove. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. So the dates on the gravestones in the Finch family cemetery reveal some interesting facts. Barbara Finch was born and died on the same date, 31st of October, a.k.a. Halloween. She died on the night of her 16th birthday. Sven Finch died on the day of his son Walter's 12th birthday. Molly died two days after her own 10th birthday. Many other death dates are close to a character's birthday. Every parent in the Finch family outlives at least one of their children, except Edith. In fact, only one sibling of each generation lives long enough to have children of their own. The stories twist that Edith is writing her journal for the benefit of her unborn child can be spoiled by the player at any time by simply looking directly downwards. Do you think Edith knew she was going to die in childbirth or she had a premonition or she just suspected or feared? I 
don't think so. I think that her mother had kind of drilled into her enough that mm. that this was not something that she, whether it was real or not, she needed to not let it be the thing that controlled her life. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think she knew she was going to die in childbirth. She might have mm. suspected yeah. on some level that she would die prematurely. Um, yes. But, <laughs> I wonder yeah, why. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so. It didn't, it didn't give that, that particular vibe to me. I got the impression that she was so frustrated at her mother's lack of sharing with yeah. what was going on with the family that she's just like, I'm going to take care of this before the kid's yep. even born. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, with this, I'm going to make sure that in the event that something happens, that they don't feel the way I felt. Um, that that was yeah. kind of and my I, take and I think on. getting it down on, on her diary was a, a sense of her own self discovery and understanding of the events that had happened. And exploring the house, seeing the things, going into the rooms, touching and feeling, and essentially ended up in her own room at one point of just lying back and and going, this all kind of makes sense now. Uh, and to get this down and, and on a piece of paper. Uh. Ewan Matthews from Patreon says, usually I have a heart of stone when it comes to emotional storylines, but when the story came to a close and the credits rolled with photographs of the developers as kids, I had a lump at the back of my throat. That was very cute. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was awesome. Mauricio MM from our forum says, I have to admit that my relationship with the environmental narrative, a.k.a. walking sim genre, isn't really something remarkable. Not that I've played them all. However, I've had enough experience with many of them, notably Gone Home, The Stanley Parable, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, Firewatch, among others. All of them had commendable stuff. Some more than others, but none, for me, had the staying power of what remains of Edith Finch. Truck Kurt from our forum says, This game really took me by surprise, having played some of the most highly praised walking sims with games such as Gone Home and Firewatch, which I enjoyed. I was expecting a similar experience and just thought that the lack of interactivity meant that walking sims simply weren't the genre for me. The game was different, though. This game was different, though. I thought the story was told expertly, with uh, not one of the small stories of any of the characters of the Finch family proving to be a duff. My favourite sequence had to be the Salmon Factory one, such a unique way to tell a story which had you performing the same monotonous actions of the character whilst also trying to concentrate on the story being told, something only a video game could do. I eagerly anticipate their next game, whatever it may be. Finally, Alex79 from our forum says, What Remains of Edith Finch is an absolute masterpiece, in my opinion. I just loved how each character was portrayed with an entirely different game mechanic and following each of their sections, the player truly had a grasp on who they were. Playing on the swings, the comic book killer and the bathtub baby. Oh my God, the bathtub baby. Probably one of the most affecting deaths in a game I've ever experienced. The horror of knowing exactly where it was going and being utterly powerless to stop was just so, well, powerful. I love the way the game clearly states it's part of the same universe as the unfinished swan and could almost be seen as a sequel of sorts. That section in particular at the fish cannery is another highlight. In fact, I don't think there is a single duff section. Edith Finch is a game I'm sure I'll come back to many more times. At a few, just a few hours long, it's the perfect alternative to putting on a favourite film in the evening. We also have this uh, deep and serious, but sometimes fanciful game summed up in just three words by our followers on Twitter at Canaan Rintz. Adam Holy Moses says, massive swing anxiety. Ben McSkelly says, fish section mesmerizing. Porg of Prophecy says, swings scare me. Weedo, sad, 
bathtub scene. Fran versus Food says, not child friendly. Never the Tories says, crying manly tears. <laughs> Good name. Wixo says, pure interactive fiction. Wayward Prophet, generational trauma sim. Real Dave Jackson says, mesmerizing, tragic, creative. Talk Taper says, family curse masterpiece. Quiet Paul is sure that Milton is alive. <laughs> Mark Hogland, a lot of folks died. They sure did. <laughs> they did. Accurate, yes. <laughs> Although probably fewer than in most video games we talk about on this podcast, if you think about it. Yeah, we right. need a What Remains of Eden's Finch style game for everyone Nathan Drake oh has ever God. killed. Yeah, it would never um. it would never end. <laughs> be a lot more traumatic, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's a hundred hours long. I was just standing there, this guy came along. <laughs> I just worked at the museum. <laughs> um, right, brief summaries, I think. We've talked a lot about this game, and it deserves it, I think. Uh, let's just go. I think we're all similar, so let's just go in alphabetical order, starting with Brian. Uh, yeah, I think it uh, says a lot about a game that we can talk about it for longer than the game usually lasts. <laughs> That's happened a lot, um, though, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's... I um, Yeah, this game's, this game's uh, special, I think. I think if, uh, um, if you want to just kind of experience, which I think if you made it to the end of this podcast, you either already have experienced it or, or um, are at least willing to, um, just kind of what the video game space can mean for how to tell a story, the different ways you can convey a story, the different ways you can um, get an emotional reaction from the player by presenting things in a medium that kind of only video games can present. This is a really good example of that. Um, I, I, um, it's weird to say that I enjoyed my time with it both times, mm. but I really did. I enjoyed it thoroughly and I've now played it through twice. And I, I definitely could see myself going back to this one at some point. And even though there's parts of it that are traumatic, there's parts of it that are tragic and, and parts of it that affect me negatively. Like I think that, we should embrace feeling those ways like the way that you will put on a sad song sometimes when you're already sad mm -hmm. um it's uh like the the process of dealing with grief and dealing with these emotions and 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 recognizing them i think is important this game i think is is helpful to that so yeah it's complete total recommend for me and and even though i it was a five-year gap between the first and second time i'm playing it so maybe sometime in 2027 i'll decide to fire it back up and do it again good job leah yeah i i want to just kind of pull back something that I said super early on and that it that is that it's um it's for me less about the deaths and more about the lives that led up to the deaths um and, and mm -hmm. the way that those are represented in kind of the uh admittedly death centric uh, vignettes that we get um <laughs> I think this could have been a super depressing game and it definitely does have some very heavy moments and some very heavy sequences but I, if it were just depressing, I don't think that I would have enjoyed it as much as I did. I, I think that those stories say a lot about those characters, and I was pretty taken with them. Uh, so yeah, I I also recommend uh, that if you are interested in this game at all, you give it a shot. It's uh, really it's really compelling storytelling, and it's short enough that you you kind of feel like you get a full experience in a single evening. Uh, if if that is something that you want to do. Also, I did look up Gone Home. Um, it is uh, Kane and Rin's issue 263 in April 2017. So we actually did that and uh, ah, and um, okay. uh, the other game that we mentioned earlier in the same year. Rapture. Yes. Yep. So mm -hmm. the arrest uh, is in there as well. That's all. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you uh, if you are open to this kind of game, um, I think this is a really good one of uh, one of its its type. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you. Uh, yes, I think this is a sad but ultimately life-affirming experience, a relatively brief experience by video gaming standards. I think uh, mechanically, if not technically, it's pretty much flawless as far as I'm concerned. Um, it, uh, it guides you through with a gentle hand, steers you through all these stories. Uh, it is worth at least one replay to cement in both the game's ideas and kind of get everything clear in your head. Maybe not five years apart, maybe not one day apart. Somewhere between the two might be optimal. I don't know. Uh, but the game has been on PlayStation Plus. It's been on games with gold, possibly, certainly on Games pa Game Pass. Uh, it was given away on the Epic Games Store, so you may very well have it in your library. And if you haven't played it already, it is literally a couple of hours or so long. And I, yeah, I did. We didn't really get any negative feedback about it. I think um, generally, if uh, you know, content warning aside, I think if you put yourself into this experience, you will get something out of it, and therefore definitely recommended from me finish up with tony just to echo everyone else's thoughts really but i i think um the thing i would say is that i think it's an important game i think it's it's immense i mean we've all known how powerful gaming can be and it doesn't have to be through storytelling like this it can just be through pure fun and motion that you you take from games is why we do the show and it's why we will do cover games like this which i think is is an important game to say look you know games can present real tough issues and stories and present it in a way that everybody here knows and everybody that's listening knows present it in a way which actually hits a lot harder than reading it in a novel or watching it on uh you know tv or a film like it the interactivity of this game makes it you know super powerful but also it's a damn good story and it's presented in a really you know viable and interesting way so for me having an example like this to be able to just show somebody go look you know this is where we have become as a medium like and, and we are still going forward and the fact that we can achieve this right now imagine where we will be in, in 20 years time because you know this it's a fascinating game to have sat down and played through and it's funny seeing some of the correspondence about it not being a, a mystery game or a mystery thriller and actually going for it a second time there is plenty of mystery there to be had there is pieces to mm. be put together and you know yeah posters and stories to be told and you know internet research well we're still had. doing it in the course of this show aren't Absolutely. we trying to sort of work um, out our own interpretation so i think the game is is deeper than just presenting its its story and feelings if you go through a second time there is more to be found and a deeper look at how these characters interact with the world and how we can ultimately take that and is it for everyone i'm not sure i'm going to sit my you know my girls quite in front of it because i don't think they've had oh right the, yeah. the, <laughs> but they haven't had the life experience no. so i think that there is some some elements there that maybe they would understand but yeah it's for me yeah it's a it was a really really good interesting unique experience that glad i got to sit down enjoy and then talk about two and a half hours on a on a podcast on a late night so yeah fantastic brilliant thank you so much it does just remain for me leon to thank brian leah Tony, Editor Jay, as well as all of our correspondents, and of course you for listening. Next time, in issue 523, it's raining men who have kids in Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator. <laughs>